podcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 737 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today as I always am. Lovely, talented, scholarly Brittany Page. So we've we've had some time to uh, process the news about Popeye that we received last week. We should probably, for those who are not... Who don't live on social media like we do. Right. Um, just kind of start from scratch and where we've been for the past week. Yeah. In addition to giving thanks to the audience for their patience and, yeah, and so let's, waiting for us. Let's start there. But I wanted to give it the the caveat that we've we've had some time and it's been really difficult. There's been random bouts of crying. There's yeah, been a lot sure. of kind of preparing for what's to come and we do appreciate the audience because there's been so many positive and supportive comments that we've we've received. But let's let's go through what happened. So Popeye has been Popeye is our almost 10 year old English bulldog, for those that don't know. And we got him from Southern California Bulldog Rescue a little over two years ago. And he's had a lot of health problems in that time. But most recently, he started kind of gagging slash dry coughing several times a day and it steadily increased to a point where we were like okay what's happening here maybe yeah. something's going on so we took him in the vet said okay his, his stomach feels a little tight i recommend getting an x-ray so we did that and the result of that was that the the vet said it it appeared as though he had a mass on his spleen and a, ma- a mass larger than a baseball Right, on his spleen. And the vet called it a ticking time bomb yeah, and said he yeah. would recommend getting an ultrasound done, but that he couldn't do the ultrasound that day. <laughs> yeah, he was going to schedule us out. Yeah. You were a boss in the moment, I, I got to say. I- I'm glad because I get impatient with the- those situations in general, but you you immediately were like, well... No, we need to do it now. You just referred to it as a ticking time bomb, and now you want to schedule out like a week. Those positions are incongruous to me, well, or whatever the word you use. I kind of used some therapeutic wonderment where I said, <laughs> "Listen, I'm having a hard time reconciling that's these two things." You, you said word. that he he's a ticking time bomb, but also that you don't have time to do the next step today. So, can right. you tell me what's happening here? <laughs> Um, so I did it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used some of my my skills, and that's because I had just gotten off work, so I was like in that mindset. Um, otherwise, it would have been what the fuck. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> that's what it would have been. But <laughs> so we we found a place. The vet kindly referred us to another hospital to, to go to. They did the ultrasound. They discovered that the baseball sized mass was actually on his liver, right? And that there was another smaller mass on the other side of his liver. They believe that the baseball sized one is is bleeding, and that there was some blood in his stomach, but not enough. They said to get 
That's that's a quote. That's what mm-hmm. she said. Um, so they said they couldn't tell us if it was malignant, but that they believe it to be because it's bleeding and because of, of the size, I believe. Mm-hmm. So we, we get a quote for how much it would be to address the situation, and they say $20,000. Yeah. And I mean, we were both crying on the phone. And yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. it was very awkward and, and difficult for the the person because you're we're still doing the in the parking lot thing where they take the animal in because of COVID. Right. And then you're waiting in the parking lot. So we weren't even with him. We never met these people. We we didn't look at the ultrasound. We weren't there while it was happening. We haven't seen the x-rays. It's right. We're detached from uh, a normal way to process what's happening. We're, right. We're just waiting in the in the car. Right. Yeah. And so we had kind of talked about what we were willing to pay beforehand. So we kind of had an idea. And what goes into that is Popeye's age. He's almost 10. Um, How he just had an ear canal ablation in February. And the recovery from that was terrible for him. He really struggled for a full week to recover from that surgery. And we were thinking... They can't even guarantee that this this surgery will solve the problem, that he will have a full recovery. I mean, there's no guarantee. There is no guarantee that he would survive surgery. Right. I mean, I think I don't remember exactly what number we came to, but I think six grand is we were like, we're we think that would be a, a figure while high for, for us. We could we could we could somehow make happen. And then when it was 20,000, it just doesn't make sense for the likelihood of recovery. Right. And also an extended life of worth and and lack of pain and enjoyment and um, to benefit Popeye. Right, right. So on the phone, we told the person who was giving us the quote that we were not going to move forward with that. And then she immediately started talking about euthanasia, like doing like it then. that day, like, right yeah, now. Right. And they were acting like he's on the verge of death. I mean, it, it was very strange. Everybody had ticking time bomb energy. Yes. Yeah. That Friday. And we were like, no, we're not doing that. We're not even talking about that. We want to take him back. Bring him out. Bring him out. Yeah. Let's let's take him back. So we paid for the ultrasound, which is also crazy. We paid a decent chunk of money to find out oh, that our say, dog is dying. We paid over $1,000 to find out that our dog is, is a ticking time bomb. Right. And then... We're left. I mean, I mean, I'm now getting emotional, heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. And um, but the thing is, Popeye is doing very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has had well, the, the, some struggles here and there. I don't want to get into details, but let's not say very well. He's He's the same as he was two weeks ago. Right. He has his full appetite. He has his full energy. He's begging for pets constantly. He's begging for food constantly. He's jumping up and off the couch, on the couch. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know. And the only reason we brought him in was for the gagging. And they said that's not connected. They don't believe that to be connected to what's going on. From from what I understand, they think it's just because he's an old fucker who produces too much mucus like an old man. <laughs> yeah, so we wouldn't know about this liver situation if we hadn't brought him in. The thing is, they said that deaths in this case, in these cases, can be very sudden. Yeah. So we're being mindful of that. We are... We're not going to keep him around 
for longer than is good for him just because we are afraid to lose him. That would be selfish on our part. And so we put him through misery because we're going to miss him. And we are going to miss him and it is going to be very hard. But we we're watching him and he is happy still. He's having good days. He's enjoying his life. Yeah. So for them to start talking about euthanasia was frankly insulting. Um, but I don't know what they had in their mind. So anyway, that's where we are. Uh, some people have said, you know, we're so sorry for your loss. He's not he's not gone. He's still here. He's still very happy and doing well. He's on meds for internal bleeding, nausea, heartburn. Um, heartburn and they gave us pain pills, but you know, he's he's not showing any signs that he's in pain. So we we haven't had to go there yet. So we don't know how much time he has left, but we appreciate the audience because, like I said, there were so many positive, supportive comments, people sharing their own stories of yeah, their yeah, own yeah. animals. And um, it's just been it's been very hard. But but the love from the audience has has really, really helped. It's definitely been a process of. Uh, of dealing, <clears throat> I don't know. Anyway, I thought the week that we took, this is the reason we didn't do the show last week. Because I didn't know how we were going to get through it. And then, fuck, here I am. Anyway, <clears throat> um... It's the looking forward to what we're going to have to face with... Because we're going to do in-home euthanasia with him. Anyway, that's where we are. I'm going to shut the fuck up now because... I need to talk for another hour. <laughs> um, but again, thank you guys all for your patience. Uh, it is... We know what we do is 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 personal to a lot of people. We know that... What's the term? Parasocial relationship. Um, we feel like we have that with you too. It's not just a one-sided thing where you feel like you know us. We feel like we know so many of you and uh, it, it is a familial type relationship and we appreciate all of the patience, uh, all of the love, all of the well wishes, all of the good vibes, pray the prayers if you prayed them, uh, whatever you do, um, it means a lot that we were in your thoughts and uh, if Popeye understood any of that, it would, it would probably... Mean a, mean a lot to him, too. So anyway, is there anything else? Should we move on to some listener communication? Yeah. Let's start with an email, and then we've got some voicemails, both from last show that we didn't get to, and then also some new ones. Hey, guys. Here is the obligatory longtime listener and supporter first-time caller statement. I'm writing an email because I hate the sound of my own voice, and I don't want the anxiety of maybe hearing it on this show. If you would like, you can read this or any of its parts on air. Consent! That's me. Sorry, that wasn't an email. I am in the middle of episode 735, and you guys got on the topic of micro and what I call the intellectual versus manual labor debate. This makes my blood boil, so I had to go home, get on the computer, listen to the segment again while taking notes so I could write this email. 
First off, F Mike Rowe. I had to deal with this guy's ideas for longer than I could tolerate because I worked at a farm supply store where we sold his products in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. He is extremely problematic all around, but when he stated that they are taking shop slash technical classes out of schools so that children do not have the opportunity to get hands-on manual labor type work, I wanted to shake him. This is not because people are leaning toward intellectualism slash book learning slash fundamental belief that manual labor is less than, which he would like you to believe, it's because we are underfunding our schools and teachers. We can barely get qualified teachers for math, and you want poor schools to get someone to teach a class with a ton of liability and potential having students light themselves on fire? Get real. Then he said paying, quote, an artificially high wage for unskilled labor. I had to check my blood pressure. What are you even freaking talking about? An artificial rate of pay? Like there is some precise calculation of labor output to revenue input that takes into account all the other factors a human needs money for, and a $15 minimum wage is unreasonably high? That is just a nice way to say unskilled workers should be okay slash deserve poverty wages, and you are going against your argument that you don't have to get an education to make a living wage. Then this Chloe Hudson came on the clip, and I almost passed out. (laughs) She is a prime example of why education needs to be more accessible, because our higher education system is fundamentally and purposefully broken. She received free higher education. She got a scholarship to learn how to weld. She called her scholarship a lifesaver, yet she wants to crap on people who are struggling to pay their student loans because, quote, there is not a single loan I have ever taken out where I didn't have an expectation put on myself that I was going to pay it, like everyone with student loans from college never expected to pay it back. Also, there are so many blue-collar careers where you still need some form of formal education outside of high school to be able to do things like HVAC or even go into the culinary arts. To that point, there are so many reasons to go to college besides having a career goal. Having a better educated population is never going to be a bad thing. It helps keep people from being anti-vax and flat earthers. People like Chloe and Mike are operating under the idea that there is a strong divide between college and everything else. That college is for intellectualism and nothing else. That people who go to college look down on those who don't, so they are fighting against their perceived inferiority. But none of this is real. It's all made up and perpetuated to keep class warfare issues at the forefront of people's minds and aimed at the wrong enemy. It's always us versus them. When and how do we change to a we? On a more personal point to this topic, I have a bachelor's degree. While I was finishing it, my husband joined the United States Air Force, and it changed our lives drastically. Because he joined the Air Force, we have moved around quite a bit, so I am mostly unemployed or underemployed since graduating. A convoluted story short, I had to take out student loans that I am still struggling to pay back because of underemployment. A point that is specific to student loans that I wanted to bring up is the interest rates. I have more in student loan debt now than when I graduated, all thanks to the thousands of dollars that get added every year to the total because of interest. I feel like I'm drowning in a vicious cycle of wanting to work but not finding something that will help me pay off the loans that I do want to pay off, and because I can't pay enough on the loan every year, I get more money added to the total. For these people to imply that people who don't need help with student loans just don't want to pay them, and maybe have some kind of character flaw like laziness or lack of integrity, is so demoralizing. I feel like I'll never have the life I thought I could have because of my student loans. I want to go back to school to make myself more employable, but it feels like I would just be adding another albatross around my neck while fighting to stay afloat. 
Sorry you had to read all of that, but I had to get it out. Thank you guys for being there. At some points, more so over the past year, having you guys in my ear made a genuine impact on my life. You guys have helped me process my thoughts and emotions about political and social topics, especially when my feelings were overly complex or when I wanted to bottle it up and avoid them. For me, Brittany is the best part, but Jesse and Popeye are pretty nifty too. Thanks for listening to my BS, and I hope it makes sense. Lindy S. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So thank you, Lindy, mostly for testing my lung power there and being able to read that. Um, (laughs) I don't know if it's just the Popeye stuff, but it also made me emotional. Yes. Well, I think anytime we get a message where people illuminate the effect that we have had on them, that that always is a pretty powerful thing. Because sometimes we feel like we're just sitting here (laughs) talking about political issues, getting pissed off, getting emotional, kind of processing in our own way on our own time and um sometimes it's easy to forget how that may or may not be impacting other people yeah i think that's it. so it's always nice to hear she brings up a great point the it is an outrageous thing to contend that a living wage is artificially high that paying someone the fucking bare minimum to feed and house and clothe themselves and their loved ones is an artificially high wage. It is, I, I don't, I'm going to paraphrase uh, what she said. Fuck Mike Rowe. Fuck that guy right in his fucking face. Goddamn. That is a, an, a patently offensive and shitty thing for a guy who acts like he's a champion of the working class. Because... If you're working at McDonald's, you're working class, micro, you fucking jerk off. Well, it gets very confusing when um, rich people, and, and I don't know Mike Rowe's story. I don't know if he started off as not a rich guy or what his history is. He, if he worked was for born QVC into for a while. He's all, for his, for the, the, the I would say his, his entire adult life has been like TV personality guy. He's a rich guy and has been for a long, long time. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if he was born into wealth. I don't know if he was born into wealth or if he's ever been poor, but it's weird to me to hear rich people talk about money and not admit how disconnected they are from the reality of so many people. Right. I mean, I appreciate Mike Rowe Rowe (laughs) attempting to... um, act like he's aware of this because he did a show where he sometimes like rubbed elbows with people who did difficult jobs. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean that he can speak on behalf of those people. He, he's not in that community. He's not a part of that crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Has he ever been someone who's counted change to put gas in his car? I feel like if you have been in that position and then you make it to a comfortable financial existence that you never let go of that experience, at least I would hope. Right. I know I know some rich people, you know, make it out of difficult situations, and then they start touting the "pull yourself up by your bootstraps" mentality. That's everybody what they did. can do what I did because everybody's ex- his experience is exactly what mine is. And I mean, does does he want to be that person? It seems like he does because yeah. you you have an opportunity, sir. To be different and to be the person who talks about luck and the role that that plays in people's existence and what people actually need to have a a happy, healthy, thriving existence where 
they feel content and not just constantly burdened by finances and struggling day to day of how they're going to get through. Uh, there isn't a lot of compassion for that. And listening to John Stossel and Mike Rowe talk about it was indeed maddening. Like Lindy said, having to go home, replay the segment, yeah, take yeah, yeah. notes in a rage-filled email. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to give you homework when you listen to the show, but yeah. apparently sometimes that happens. Well, and that was a great that was a great email. We really appreciate hearing from Lindy and hope that that's not the last time that we hear Absolutely. from Lindy. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some voicemails. Um in addition to the Mike Rowe topic that, that was a, a few shows ago, we've also been talking about the CDC's relaxing or changing of the guidelines relative to masks. We had a couple more voicemails about that. And then we're going to get into some tried and true politics. Hi, guys. It's Kathy from Boise. Just a little um, follow-up, I guess, just finished the last episode talking about the masks and being fully vaccinated and whether you need to do it or not. And my husband and I definitely were really anxious at first to take our masks off and absolutely want to be respectful of other people. So if grocery stores ask us to, whatever, we wear a mask. Um, I guess the only funny thing is I feel like Boise thinks that we are worse at math, math than we are. Because um, Idaho's vaccination rate is barely over 30% right now. And no one is wearing a mask anymore like truly out and about at best even in like the liberal quote-unquote neighborhoods maybe 30 percent of people are in a mask otherwise no one like at restaurants absolutely no one many of the staff are not even wearing masks anymore so anyway that's interesting considering only one in three people here are vaccinated uh just thought i'd share that tidbit but the honor system is not working take care I think this is a problem that's being uh, kind of felt by reasonable people all across the country. When the, those who live in states that really never took the fucking pandemic seriously. So mm -hmm. it's not a surprise to me, especially in fucking Boise, Idaho, that uh, that this is going on. Because I know people who work in businesses who are like salesmen who have territory that, that overlap into Idaho, Washington, Oregon, Montana... And uh, they've they've witnessed exactly which regions and areas and which municipalities and which states have taken it seriously and, and the citizens have taken it seriously and which have not. And Idaho is one of those. And it continues. Mm -hmm. It's continuing right now to be the case. Yeah. Well, there's 15 uh, states that still require people who are not yet fully vaccinated to wear masks in public. California is one of those states. So that's why every time we talk about this issue, we really try to say... We're in California. Things are different here. <laughs> yeah, I need to, you reminded me last episode of the episode before, and I it really was like, oh yeah, fuck. I'm really speaking like a Californian, which I don't want to do ever anyway, but certainly not on this particular issue. Well, and mask wearing is still widespread here. We still have the mask mandate until June 15th. June 15th will be the date that the mask mandate goes away, that the social distancing requirements go away. I don't know how that's going to impact the settings that where they're still required, yeah. um, that well, where the CDC is still recommending them, right, for like healthcare settings and things like that. So we'll see how things change. What was that tweet the other day that uh, now everybody who's who's vaccinated can eat in restaurants without a mask and also liars? <laughs> 
Yeah. People who are, you know, yeah, I'm vaccinated, but you're a fucking liar. You're not. Mm-hmm. And you're just putting people at risk. Yeah. <laughs> this is the world we live in, everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for the call. We appreciate you. Moving on. Hey, it's Eric from Oklahoma. Um, just wanted to tell a little story about my uh, recent experience getting a haircut. So I've, for many years now, worked in downtown Tulsa and gotten my haircut at very reputable places down there. Um, and over the last period where we had COVID, the place I was going took it very, very seriously. Um, and anyway, now I'm working in a job where I don't ever go downtown anymore. And I decided to go to this well-reviewed barbershop here in my little suburb. So uh, this was a like a week before the CDC announced that masks are not required for vaccinated people. I've been vaccinated since uh, February and still have not gone maskless in any public place um, until now. So I walk into this little barbershop. It's one of those shotgun-style shops that's longer than it is wide. There's five or six barbers in there. No one's wearing masks. And of the clients that are there, no one else is wearing masks. I'm literally the only person in this store wearing a mask. So me being practical, think, well, I'm probably the only one in here vaccinated too. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true or not. Um, anyway, um, I took my mask off just out of feeling uncomfortable being the only one masked when I didn't really need to be. So, uh, fast forward to the next day, I start feeling a little bit of congestion. And then the next day, I have a full-blown fucking cold. (laughs) Sure enough, uh, memory serves, the guy that was cutting my hair actually did cough maybe half a dozen times into something behind me. I don't know if he coughed in his elbow or in his hand or or what. Back of your um, head. Yeah. I caught a fucking cold the very first time I went without a mask. So I don't know what that tells me, but it's frustrating as hell. Um, I know it is liberating to go around without masks, but God damn, it sure was nice not having a mask or a cold for like damn near two years. I hadn't had one, you know, for a long time before COVID shut everything down. So anyway, love the show. Long time listener. Love you both. And Popeye too. Bye. Eric's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, we love Eric. This is this is uh, one of those one of those things that is is an unintended consequence or an, maybe an underappreciated consequence of wearing a goddamn mask mm. is that not getting little sniffly colds that maybe last half a day or a day or longer. Yeah. That's it. It really is proof of the efficacy of mask wearing. For sure it is. I, I also want to say, and I <laughs> I really, I'm not saying this is the case for Eric. So Eric, do not get upset. I'm going to criticize myself because I think that I have had some psychosomatic symptoms <laughs> since going without my mask. You, Brittany Page? I know. It's shocking <laughs> that that would happen to me. Um, but I have had moments where 
I I believe that I was having, you know, oh, is my throat sore? Oh, no, I feel it's because I it's because I didn't have my mask on yesterday. And I, you know, we were in a restaurant and now I'm sick. And but then it isn't actually something that lasts. It's just something that like happens when I'm thinking about it a lot. When you forget about it, it. when you forget about it, all of a sudden you don't feel the symptoms. Yes. So (laughs) I, I have had those moments. And I think that's because of like the lingering discomfort at times of stepping out into the new way of being yeah 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 the new old way the new old way the of old being. new way <laughs> yes well, one of those things is right yeah yeah exactly yeah i'm i'm uh i'm i hate to break it to you eric but we we obtained um closed circuit security footage of the barbershop and that guy <laughs> was just wiping snot right in the back of your fucking head you thought it was gel yeah from him doing your hair but it was not yeah it was his his germy diseased mm-hmm. mucus just all over the back of your grape. I'm also, if someone's coughing around me, that makes me very anxious. It's the most aggressive that you get in public. Like, I, if, I don't think that's if, true. If, well, it's one of the, well, okay, let me not speak so, so uh, absolute. It is some of the most aggressive that I'd see you in public. Like when we're walking and someone just, <coughs> and you're like, oh my God, you, you're very vocal about being disapproving of people who that are just never happens. not covering their fucking socks and just coughing their filth into the open air. Mm, oh, yeah. That's right. never happened. That's, that is a lie. Mm. That is a dirty, filthy. That is a, no, almost I'm as dirty to remember. a filthy lie. I don't think that's happened. As the germs are that fly out of their mouths when they cough into the air. Yeah, I'm having a hard time remembering that. Thank you, Eric, for the call and thank for uh, pointing out that Brittany likes to lie about her aggressive behavior when people cough into the air. We appreciate you. Moving on to some politics. Last episode, I played half of a voicemail from Josh in Wisconsin. But I was calling him John Mm. in Wisconsin because I fumble fucked when I typed. And rather than type Josh on the the, the title of the call, I typed John. Yeah. So I'm apologizing here to Josh. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to play the last half of his voicemail that deals with the wonderful, patriotic Matt Gates. And so... Thank you, too, for being such fierce advocates on behalf of immunocompromised individuals. And I also wanted to touch on the subject of Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, specifically the issue that Marjorie Taylor Greene accosted Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the halls of Congress, essentially got free from the Republican Party. I'm trying to understand... Well, I'm not trying to understand. I understand exactly what's happening. But the Republican Party was fast to expel Liz Cheney. It was no stink. But they expelled her for not sticking by the big lie and yet have to issue any consequences for Marjorie Taylor Greene for essentially verbally assaulting a member of Congress. And it's essentially endorsed by... Kevin McCarthy, who just stands by and lets this crap happen, as well as I'm trying to understand how the Democrats were fast to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments for actions she did before she even became elected to Congress, which I agree with, don't get me wrong, but how is Matt Gates, who is being actively incredibly investigated for sex trafficking a minor, 
still allowed on his committee assignment. I don't get it. What, what is Pelosi doing? She, she has the power to move to at least even temporarily expel him from his committee assignments, and she won't do it. It's frustrating that the Democrats show no kind of strength against. And then that would have been the three-minute mark. Oh, I see. So uh, a lot is here, and I agree that not, not enough is being done. I don't think, and listen, I'm a critic of Nancy Pelosi, not a fan. Uh, I think that we need someone else as speaker. But in this case, I think it creates a lot of complexity, and it's not as, there's a lot of nuance here about, he should be removed for sure. Absolutely, I believe it should be brought before a vote of, uh, a vote of the House. Uh, but that's not going to be done. But there, there are a lot of other issues at play about setting a precedent of just anybody they don't like. And it's credible. He should be. But they opened up a Pandora's box when they did that with, with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hmm. The, the, the point that really justifies to me doing it with her and letting justice, quote unquote, take its course with Matt Gates is this. And that is Marjorie Taylor Greene is dangerous. Because when she accosts AOC verbally, where she's stalking her, tracking her down, um, being aggressive, she's not doing it for the cameras. It's not just publicity. She's a fucking psycho who is obsessing on AOC and doing this in what she thinks is a private moment that just so happened to be caught by a couple of Washington Post reporters. Mm -hmm. There's a distinction. If you do something for the cameras... That's quote unquote glitz and glamour and politics and getting publicity. This is just obsession, mm-hmm. and it's it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'd love to know what you think. Certainly, uh, a lot of opinions to have, especially related to removing Republicans who are problematic from their positions. Well, it's, I think it's frustrating, and you talked about how this is like a nuanced issue, but what, what's difficult for me is the fact that Republicans are not going to hold their own accountable, and, and that's where right. that's where this is difficult, is so well, uh, Democrats will be accused of partisanship for holding Republicans accountable. Republicans aren't going to do it. Yeah, but there was a shift because Steve King was removed. Mm-hmm. But something happened. There's been an even more radicalization of the Republican Party even since 2018. Yeah. Like, like it's something is happening right now and we're witnessing it that it's going from a radical party to an even more extreme radical party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, like you're saying, refusing to hold their members accountable. Mm-hmm. It's Listen, I've I've been talking about it on YouTube for a couple months, and I am very anxious about the state of our democracy. Very anxious about the state of our republic. That we are, we are teetering. We are witnessing the possible end of the country as we know it, and it's not just hyperbole. That is happening. Well, and before we get to that, because we want to talk about that, um, there's an update with the Matt Gates stuff because he is now being investigated, according to the, the Justice Department, for obstruction of justice. Congressman Matt Gates's legal troubles may have just gotten a lot worse. The Department of Justice is now investigating the Florida Republican for a potential attempt to obstruct justice. Sources tell CNN that investigators were told Gates and an associate discussed a plan to talk to Gates's ex-girlfriend about the federal sex crimes investigation. 
She's a potential key witness in this. CBS CNN has previously reported that Gates is under investigation for sex trafficking and prostitution tied to an alleged sexual relationship with a minor. Gates has strongly denied having sex with a 17-year-old and has not yet been charged with any wrongdoing. Let's get right to CNN senior legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed and, and Paula. On this obstruction issue, is the allegation here that there was an attempt or discussion of influence, influencing testimony of this witness or, or just contacting this witness or both? There's multiple instances here. Look, mm -hmm. I've been reporting on this for a few months. I think it's mm -hmm. important for people to remember that aside from allegations of sex and drugs, at the heart of this investigation is a group of very young women. Many of them are vulnerable. I've spoken to many of them, and many of them have said they're scared to be part of a federal investigation. And they are especially susceptible to any influence, especially from powerful men. And now we've learned that the Justice Department is looking at whether the congressman or any of his associates have tried to influence these witnesses. And what's also so interesting is in our reporting, we learned this isn't new. Investigators have actually been worried about attempts at obstruction since last fall, around the time that the sex trafficking investigation into the congressman began. Now, among the incidents under scrutiny by federal investigators, we know last October, October 2020, early in the month, the congressman and an associate discussed taking a trip to visit his ex-girlfriend, who is a key witness in the case. Now, to be clear, this ex-girlfriend is not the minor he allegedly had sexual contact with, but she's key to this investigation because she, this ex-girlfriend was linked to the congressman in the summer of 2017. And that's the time period where he allegedly had contact with a minor. And that's why she is of particular interest to investigators. Now, Politico was first to report the obstruction investigation late last night, and they say that investigators are also looking at a call between the ex-girlfriend and a witness that the congressman was eventually patched into. Now, important to note, the congressman has not been charged with any wrongdoing, and his spokesman issued a statement saying Congressman Gates pursues justice. He does not obstruct it. After two months, there is not a single on-record accusation of misconduct, and now the story is changing yet again. But Jim and Poppy, the story is not changing at all. The, our reporting is that this investigation is expanding. It started out with allegations of possible sexual contact with a minor, sex trafficking, public corruption, and now obstruction. Well, and as if Matt Gates couldn't get more soulless, he, he is a skeevy fuck, he, isn't he? He has really found a home in the QAnon crowd. Yeah. And making the rounds with Marjorie Taylor Greene, really stoking the fires of the conspiracy theories. And that's all he has left. That, I mean, that's the only place he has left to go. That's, well, yeah. But any, anybody who's even halfway reasonable knows this guy's, he's done for. Yeah, it's it's not headed in the right direction. Also, look, it's not out of the, it's not even out of his, his um, wheelhouse. Remember when Michael Cohen was testifying before Congress and Matt Gates was on Twitter intimidating the witness prior to his testimony, making threats of what was going to come if he testified against Donald Trump. It's part and parcel, pattern and practice. It is what he fucking does. So it's, is anybody like, huh, that doesn't sound like Matt Gates to, to call ex-girlfriends and, or have emissaries dispatch friends to do it for him? Come on. Come on. <laughs> we, anyway. We need to get the uh, Job Bluth come on clip. Yeah, we do. Yeah, that would be perfect. But here, this is in, in its stead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Uh, listen, we'd love to know what you think. I got one more voicemail, but before we play it, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. What's up, Jesse and Brittany? This is Sean from Orlando, Florida. Originally from, originally from New Jersey. Um, there's a there's there's a lot that I want to touch base on, but especially um the Marjorie Taylor Greene thing and the way the Republican Party is going. I find it I find it very interesting how there's like little to no double standard in the in the media. And pardon me if I'm if I'm wording this correctly or or, or incorrectly, but I may not agree with everything AOC says. I lean pretty damn left. But um, I just feel like there's just been a constant attack on her and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and even to the extent Cori Bush and people of that nature. And there's like next to nothing about Marjorie Taylor Greene besides from independent media like you guys. I just find it mind-boggling. It's, it's, it's quite literally insane. I, it's, it's like, it's like, it, 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 people don't see that, that that's white privilege at play in this country. I don't know what it is. You know, like, all I can picture is, is my loving girlfriend who is black were to go on a rampage like Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing. How would that pan out? Like, really? Especially in this country. Like, really? And yet, we don't have a problem. Racism. Racism's done. Racism died in 1968. And, and, and we're all moved on. Right. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. I I really enjoy the show. And I'm sorry, Jesse Baga, say Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Well, and sometimes I get, and, and you know this, about talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene and all that kind of stuff. I Sometimes I don't like to talk about it too much. I mean, I appreciate the the, the praise that we are talking about it more than other news sources, Mm -hmm. which may or may not be true. I don't know what your sense of that is. But sometimes I think, do we really want to talk about this? Because it's almost like these people, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, all of them, believe politics is a game. And then AOC, that group of people, believe that politics is a way to shift public policy so that people are benefiting and protected in society and it it feels weird when you're up against this battle of ideas and there's one side that is like here's a way to make society better and then the other side is like let's have a wwe wrestling match yeah i I think it is important to talk about her though i mean i know it's gross yeah and there's this balance of like do we want to give her airtime do we want to um heighten her image in the minds of, of of americans but She is a woman who believes that Jews 
have orbiting lasers in space firing lasers onto the ground in California to cause forest fires. An elected member of Congress that Republicans won't hold accountable. It it needs to be always reminded that she's not just this wacky lady. She, She holds bizarre, pernicious, racist beliefs, conspiracy She believes that Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin ate babies. I mean, goddamn. Well, and another reason I think, so I said there's a part of me that gets uncomfortable talking about it, but then there's another part of me, and this is the same thing with Donald Trump. I get uncomfortable continuing to talk about Donald Trump, but then uh, Maggie Haberman's reporting comes out this week that he genuinely believes he's going to be reinstated as president in August. It's not something that he's he believes because he wants to fundraise on that. It's not something that he believes right. because he's trying to gin up support. He genuinely believes it. And that reporting was corroborated that he genuinely believes it. It's something he believes will happen. He will be right. reinstated in August because the election was because he's listening to fucking my pillow goofball. Yeah. So but the reason that I think it's important to talk about those things is because of what you were talking about earlier, Jesse, which is the threat to democracy and democracy being in danger. And there was a fantastic write up in the Washington Post by Greg Sargent um, entitled a frantic warning from 100 leading experts. Our democracy is in grave danger. And there was this public statement that was released, signed by 100 scholars of democracy, and they describe the the threat right now, the risk that yeah. the democ- that our democracy is in, and they say that history will judge what we do at this moment. And particularly what they're talking about is the playbook that the Republican Party is using right now to restrict voting. Yeah. And I'm going to read a quote here. The playbook that the Republican Party is executing at the state and national levels is very much consistent with actions taken by illiberal, anti-democratic, anti-pluralistic parties in other democracies that have slipped away from free and fair elections. Among these, the scholars note, are efforts by the GOP-controlled state legislators everywhere to restrict access to voting in ways reminiscent of tactics employed before the United States became a real multiracial democracy in the mid-1960s. Quote, Republican lawmakers have openly talked about ensuring the purity and quality of the vote, echoing arguments widely used across the Jim Crow South for reasons for restricting the black vote. The scholars also sounded the alarm about GOP efforts to deepen control of electoral machinery in numerous states, casting them as a live threat to overturn future elections and redoubling of emphasis on extreme gerrymanders and other anti-majoritarian tactics. So it yeah. It's it's a scary time. And when you have people who have power within the party, still have power within the party, that have this viewpoint, that see what Donald Trump did in rallying the masses about the election being rigged yeah. and people buying into it, it is very scary. They're convincing people in our democracy that something happened that did not happen. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's plain as that and then you have mansion and cinema who are more worried about appeasing the republicans yeah than doing what they should be doing to protect democracy yeah it is uh i got a clip here uh, from mansion but before i get to it i want to talk uh you don't have to even look at some of the legislation that's happening right now you just look at the tactics of republicans think about it from this perspective 
the 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 people they attack, the AOCs, the Rashida Talibs, the Ilhan Omars, the Cory Bushes, black and brown women, they paint them as a threat to gin up fear in a white conservative base. Yeah. Other than Nancy Pelosi, because of her position, our congresswoman, Katie Porter, mm-hmm. ostensibly just as liberal, just mm-hmm. as just as out there with her opinions as AOC, mm-hmm. crickets from Republicans. They're not attacking white lady. They're not trying to gin up fear in a conservative base about Katie Porter, mm-hmm. the white single mom. Mm-hmm. It's AOC. Oh, the squad. It's dangerous. These, these black and brown people are taking over America. They're fundamentally changing it. It's going to be different for you. You're not going to have the power you once had. You're going to be a minority. And the Fox News audience fucking laps it up. Look at the tactics they're using. It is based around race. Making their, their base fear what is taking place in the political shift in America. Of course, they're legislating as well at the state level, which is absolutely dangerous. But the reason they're able to do it so effectively is because of the fear that they ginned up in the the electorate. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we have our own problems on the Democratic side. Like you just said, Joe Manchin, uh, Kristen Sinema, being completely opposed in a recalcitrant fashion. Again, they're opposed to doing away with the filibuster. Yeah. And listen... If you want to filibuster the, the the infrastructure bill, do your fucking worst. That is fine. That's a policy disagreement relative to funding roads. But if you're going to filibuster basic civil rights, the human rights of Americans, no, you should not be able to procedurally block human and civil rights. Well, and when you're when you're facing a reality that Republicans like have a pretty good chance of gerrymandering their way to control the House yeah. in 2022, you would think that Democrats, Cinema and Manchin, would care about that issue and take steps, like you say, to protect the rights of Americans so that their their voting rights are not taken away. Instead, Manchin is too concerned about making concessions to the GOP, making sure Republicans get their say too, even though they lost, they're not in the majority anymore. We need to do something in a bipartisan way. We can't continue on these types of projects because we were able to bring everything to fruition working through a bipartisan way. The Republicans didn't get everything they wanted the last time, as you recall. Mm-hmm. And basically, we're not going to get everything, but we can move forward. And the president has that desire and the urgency to get something big done. You're not ready to go for Democrats to do this alone on reconciliation right now. I've always been to the point where we've got to work together. You know, you can only do so much by yourself. And that's what we're not designed to work that way. Mm-hmm. The House is. The House was designed strictly, strictly for what they do. Mm-hmm. It comes hard at you, whether it's Republicans in control or Democrats. The Senate was never designed that way. The Senate was designed for, okay, I see that right there, but we can, you know, we can maneuver that a little bit and we can massage a little bit and make it a little bit better. 
Well, and I loved this write-up from Michelle Goldberg in the New York Times, and I just want to read a quote because I feel like it perfectly encapsulates <laughs> the central problem with what Manchin just said. Quote, both she and Manchin, she being cinema, are committed to bipartisanship as a supreme good, which in practice means bowing to the wishes of a party that doesn't believe Joe Biden is a legitimate president and wants above all to see him fail. Quote, 100 percent of our focus is on stopping the new administration, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said last month. So it's they believe in this idea of bipartisanship. Compromise. It is the highest ideal. Right. Is working together and being able to come together with ideas, negotiate those ideas and land on what the best idea is. Negotiating in good faith. And how's that working? It's like he's ignored his entire tenure as a senator for West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like, he he wasn't there when, when Republicans have done everything they've done to obstruct and act out of good faith. It's, 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 it's just, it's fucking fantasy land. Well, and Kristen Cinema, when talking about how you fix a system that's not working, said, quote, the way to fix that is to change your behavior, not the rules. <laughs> okay, what what do you think your job is? Yeah, yeah. Also, what is she doing to change Republicans' behavior? Mm-hmm. Is, just keep treating them nice. They'll come around. I mean, what the fuck? Well, of course, this is a person who was touring migrant facilities in Texas with John Cornyn this yeah. month. So uh, that's who she's palling around. Yeah, with. I don't know what the point of doing that is. Uh, more, more bipartisanship, good faith, goodwill. I guess. And, and listen, they think that the party who blocked a commission to look into the events of January sixth. To, to ensure that it never happens again, they block that. They don't want to investigate a terrorist attack, a domestic terror attack, the, the insurrection. They don't mm-hmm. want that. Mm-hmm. They're the people who are, who are acting in good faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Well, and are, are Democrats concerned about authoritarianism or are they not? And that's really the reality. And if you are concerned about it, then you should use your position of power to do something about it. For the sake of the democracy, for for the existential threat that faces us. Yes. Not because, oh, this particular time it was a little rather contentious. Right. Between the, the Democrats in, Cong- in Congress and the Republicans in Congress. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, even Mike Pence, even bootlicking sycophantic Mike Pence agrees about January 6th. January 6th was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. But thanks to the swift action of the Capitol Police and federal law enforcement, violence was quelled. The Capitol was secured. And that same day, we reconvened the Congress and did our duty under the Constitution and the laws of the United States. You know, President Trump and I have spoken many times since we left office. And I don't know if we'll ever see eye to eye on that day. I don't believe we'll ever see eye to eye on that day. Even Mike Pence. (laughs) But Joe Manchin, no, no, y'all, we can't get rid of the filibuster. It'll it'll take power away from Republicans. We might we might be able to actually get something done for the majority, the party who won the election. But because of this arcane rule that wasn't 
around in the founding of our country. It's not something that's mentioned in the Constitution. It's an arbitrary rule that was ginned up to give more power to the minority. That is not how it should work. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? What do you think is the motivation there for Mike political expediency Pence to say what he said about not being in full agreements? Or never being in full agreement. It is it is perplexing to me. But one, but I don't know if he's planning to run for office. I think that would be not on the table, mm-hmm. if, if you ask me. But he said it in New Hampshire, which is a state where people go to, to campaign to run for president, to keep their name in the mix. But, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not speculating. I have no idea. I've thought about it a lot. And like, what's the motivation? Is he finally getting a spine? Like, why now? Yeah. I just have no idea. Hmm. I mean, it was hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. And he still came out and was tickling Donald Trump's balls from under the table. Well, that is... You know what I mean? And I don't even mean figuratively. I mean, he was under the table with his hands fingering the ball sack of Donald Trump. Literally. Literally. Views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. No? I always I always wonder if the audience can predict when the disclaimer is going to be played. So you don't think it was literally? So I just wonder if they know. You do you even, think they know when it's going to be played? You don't even think figuratively, do you? Do you think they can predict <laughs> when the disclaimer is going to be played? I hope so. Yeah. They're like, oh, here it comes. Yep. Here it comes. This is going to be it. <laughs> this is going to be one of the times he's finally crossed the line. <laughs> he's crossed the line. <laughs> the only buddy who crossed the line was Mike Pence. Okay. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> anyway, we'd love your thoughts on all of these and any other topic that you'd like to talk about. 657 464 7609. Email voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it. At dollamore.com. Moving on to wrap up the show. Taking care of biz. Paxton Smith. I almost started yelling and I stopped myself. Vaccine altruist. <laughs> Paxton Smith is the valedictorian of Lake Highlands High School's class of 2021, and she submitted her speech before the commencement ceremony in order to get approval from the powers that be. Because that's what happens when you're a high school kid. They don't want even a a super smart, genius, dedicated student up there without looking at what they're going to say because they might go rogue. Yes. And, and she went rogue. She went rogue. She wrote a different speech because she kept thinking about the heartbeat bill that Governor Greg Abbott has signed into law. The law prohi- Barbaric. The law prohibits abortions as early as six weeks, of course, before many women even know that they're pregnant. And it does not matter if the pregnancy resulted from incest or rape. So... She was thinking about this law and decided that she wanted to use her platform in front of the mic during the commencement speech to talk about it. She wrote a different speech, ran it by some important people in her life, and some people approved. One of them wasn't thrilled about it, but decided to keep quiet and support her in yeah, her decision. Yeah, let her be a boss. 
yeah, and and it it was a really powerful moment. I'm not usually very good at expressing my gratitude for the people that I care about, um, but I would like to say thank you to Coach. I think he's had a bigger role in my life than he realizes. Okay. As we leave high school, we need to make our voices heard. Today I was going to talk about TV and media and content because it's something that's very important to me. However, under light of recent events, it feels wrong to talk about anything but what is currently affecting me and millions of other women in the state. Recently, the heartbeat bill was passed in Texas. Starting in September, there will be a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, regardless of whether the pregnancy was a result of rape or incest. Six weeks. That's all women get. And so before they realize, most of them don't realize that they're pregnant by six weeks. So before they have a chance to decide if they are emotionally, physically, and financially stable enough to carry out a full-term pregnancy, before they have the chance to decide if they can take on the responsibility of bringing another human being into the world, that decision is made for them by a stranger. A decision that will affect the rest of their lives is made by a stranger. I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. And we have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, I am terrified that if I am raped, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. I hope that you can feel how gut-wrenching that is. I hope you can feel how dehumanizing it is to have the autonomy over your own body taken away from you. And I'm talking about this today, on a day as important as this on a day honoring 12 years of hard academic work, on a day where we are all gathered together, on a day where you are most inclined to listen to a voice like mine, a woman's voice, to tell you that this is a problem, and it's a problem that cannot wait. And I cannot give up this platform to promote complacency and peace when there is a war on my body and a war on my rights a war on the rights of your mothers, a war on the rights of your sisters, a war on the rights of your daughters. We cannot stay silent. Thank you. So I don't know what Paxton's plans are for the future, but she is a natural. Yes. She barely looked down at her at her paper and I mean she's a natural she hammered that yeah I mean I don't know if she plans to go into political activism I don't know if she's going into politics when she I think she's going to UT Austin 
Um, there were threats to withhold her diploma, but there's been no no action taken on that. I think the administrators say that they had the ability to do that, but there's been no action taken on that. It made me a little emotional when there was positive response from the audience. Yes, for sure, to support her. I'm sure there was a lot of people who disagreed. Like I could have imagined boo, like trying to boo her off stage. Mm -hmm. You know, the anti-cancel culture crowd. Yeah. Wanting to silence her. Also, she they didn't cut her mic. Yeah. Which is surprise. I don't know if they didn't have the ability or they were trying to figure it out. Right. They just couldn't find the right button. Yeah. <laughs> and short of going up there and taking away the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad she got all the way through it. Everything she said was amazing. Mm-hmm. Fucking, uh, I'm really making it personal. Right. I'm terrified to be raped. Mm-hmm. And then not know that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because it's the same people who wouldn't want her to have access to plan B mm-hmm. the day after a horrific event like an rape. Like a rape. Mm-hmm. Um, this, those same people are now saying, we don't want you to have plan B. And you can't have an abortion after six weeks when you might not even know you're pregnant until eight or ten weeks. Right, right. It's disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely a wonderful pick for taking care of Biz, Brittany. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to my attention and hopefully some who hadn't heard about it before. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear from you. We haven't even done a, a Patreon mid-roll. We can do it now. We can do it now, Brittany Page says. I Doubt It is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Zachary R. Zachary R. Rhonda S. Rhonda S. Evan C. Evan C. Charles B. Charles B. Jeffrey V. Jeffrey V. Janine M. Janine M. And we would like to thank Jim D., Jim D. Jim D. more than doubled the pledge. Fantastic. Thanks to each and every one of you, yes. newcomers and old comers alike, uh, for supporting our work, helping produce this show, and again, for the patience that you've showed as I whistle my way through <laughs> yep. um, uh, our, our, our hiatus for a week. Yes. Well, and we also, we want to thank everybody because we... We were going to have the Patreon hangout last week. Yeah. And the day before, we had just gotten the news about Popeye. And we typically do it Saturday morning. And so it was Friday afternoon when we got the news. And I mean, we were... I mean, we couldn't stop crying. And we... Just randomly at stoplights, I would burst into tears. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... It has been a very difficult time. And so we we didn't feel like it would be positive for people i mean we, we were just going to be like crying well we so, also knew we were going to field questions about it and i wouldn't have been able to there's no way yeah so we're, we're sorry for not being able to do it but we're, we're going to do it uh this month so the last saturday of june june 26th june is like a, a month of celebration for us typically because it's our birthdays it's our anniversary yeah, it's and... the day before my birthday the 26th yeah and yours is on the 21st yeah and our anniversary is on the 28th yeah just so everybody has the dates <laughs> <laughs> so you can put it in your calendar and celebrate in unison. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's typically a month of celebration, like I said, but um, we got this news right before the month of June started. So it, it kind of put a, a damper on things. But it's it's 
I'm trying to move away from that and trying to focus on the fact that he's he's doing well. So um, anyway, the hangout will be June. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Saturday, June 26th at 11 a.m. And we we just appreciate the the love and support. Yeah. And again, if you would like to, if you've been on the fence, you you you're you're somehow convinced by, you know, the tickling of the balls thing. And you want to give, you just go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Uh, we love you. That's going to be the thing. And we There's appreciate- someone listening who's like, you know what? That really pushed me over the edge. <laughs> That's the content I want to support. That's the life changing shit Listen, that we need more of. People don't come for the reasonable takes, Brittany Page. They come for the for the ball tickling talk. Oh, okay. That's, Perfect. It's the lifeblood of this program. Yeah, yeah. Don't sleep on it. Great. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you. We'll see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.